This is episode number 102 with Congressman Tim Ryan. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. up everyone thank you so much for joining me today on the school of greatness podcast we've got a fellow ohioan on today his name is mr tim ryan he is a congressman and he's the author of a new book that just came out called the real food revolution healthy eating green groceries and the return of the american family farm now this is a an interesting conversation because one He's from Ohio, so we've got some good connections there. We have a lot, also a lot of mutual friends, and this is the first time I've connected with Tim. So was able to connect with a, a fellow Ohioan and talk about two topics that I'm actually extremely passionate about, one which is mindfulness and bringing mindfulness into the uh, school system for kids to really practice and learn and be available to, but also eating healthier and understanding why as a nation, as a country, specifically in the US, we are not living as long as our parents and grandparents did. And while we're the first generation to actually live shorter lives than uh, our our parents and grandparents, it's kind of crazy. And it's because of the food that we're eating and the, the medication we have to take to supplement our health. So we dive into those topics. I'm very excited about this. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh-generation. Find seventh-generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com. Let's go ahead and dive in now with The Real Food Revolution with Congressman Tim Ryan. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. Super pumped about this one. We've got Congressman Tim Ryan on. What's going on, Tim? Not too much. Very excited to be with you. Very excited. We were just connecting a little bit before and we, we have many mutual friends, and uh, I'm glad we were able to finally connect. And Nick uh, Ortner told me about you and told me about your book and said, I've got to have you on the show. And so I said, well, let's get the book first and see if it's, if it's worthy. And I didn't know anything about you. Then I realized <laughs> you're from Ohio, and I said, okay, I've got to have him on the show. So very excited to, uh, to see what you're, what you're up to. And the more I learn about you, the more I'm fascinated that – uh, you're actually a congressman and what you're up to because you are focusing on, I guess the last few years of your life, you've been focusing on based on these books and the kind of the programs that you've been implementing in Ohio specifically is all about mindfulness and really like emotional intelligence in the schools and eating healthier. Two things that I've been focusing on in my life over the last four years, as I saw myself gain about 35 pounds and kind of have like this, this like you know, gut, uh, after playing football and, 
and then really diving into mindfulness and meditation and emotional intelligence myself and understanding the value of that practice and what it's done for my life and my relationships to see that a congressman is doing this. I'm proud to know that you're from Ohio, my friend. Hey, man. Well, it's good to meet up. I mean, the most <laughs> exciting part about doing this, and I've had a lot of people say, are you sure you're a congressman? Because <laughs> you know? um, there there's a lot of people involved in this, but not a lot of people in the political process involved in it. And really the most exciting thing for me has been meeting people like you, people like Nick Ortner, Chris Carr, you know, the whole team uh, and figuring out how we can build this movement out because really yeah. it's people on the outside that move the political process. You know, it's right. the pressure from the outside that move the needle in one direction or the other. And we've seen it happen in our country a lot. And I think the things that you're talking about and that we'll talk about in this podcast are the things that I think really need to happen to improve the lives of people in our country. And it's not necessarily a Democrat or Republican thing, but it's kind of a common sense way to try to solve some of the challenges that we have. Yeah, definitely. And and before we dive into kind of like the the healthy eating, uh, you know, you wrote this book called The Real Food Revolution. It's all about healthy eating, green groceries, and the return of the Amer American family farm. Uh, before we get into that, because I think that's a huge topic that I cover a lot on this show. We bring on a lot of health experts. You wrote a book before called A Mindful Nation, and it was really about reducing stress and improving performance. And I think I read somewhere that you're, you've applied this in schools, in elementary schools or high schools. Is that correct? Or you're trying to do yeah. some type of programs or, or testing this? Is that What have you done with that? Yeah. Yeah, well, there there are schools around the country that do different forms of meditation practice. Some do mindfulness-based, some do uh, transcendental meditation, uh, some do other things. But we were able in 2009 to get a grant um, for Youngstown City Schools and Warren City Schools in Ohio where they teach uh, mindfulness and social and emotional learning. Wow. And to me, this is very fundamental. You know, you'll go and, and Warren and Youngstown are both older industrial towns, um, you know, poor, um, you know, a lot of uh, cultural diversity, uh, tough neighborhoods, high crime rates. And I just had to say, hey, if we do this, you know, let's do it, you know, where these real challenges are. And it's really been amazing. I just talked to the superintendent of Warren City Schools a few days ago. And he said, really, the program's taken off a rocket ship. He said, actually, two principals were in an argument because the one principal hasn't reported any discipline incidents yet this year. No and way. the other principal thought that she was trying to cook the books. And, and, and the, she said, I swear to God, I mean, this is, we haven't had any problems. And he said, that's, that's the best SEL mindfulness school that we have in the district. He said, it's taken off like a rocket ship. And because of the success that they're having in this school, you know, the other schools are taking it a lot more seriously and really ramping it up. And so, you know, it, it goes to the philosophy that, you know, um, if we want kids to learn, uh, we need to base how we teach them and, and what we teach them on the latest brain science. Mm. And there's so much science coming online now with how the brain reacts to meditation. Yeah. And it allows you to move out of fight or flight, you know, and if you think of some of these kids in tough neighborhoods with domestic violence issues in their families, you know, they basically have post-traumatic stress, you know, and they have it 
at a very, very young age where their brain's still developing. And so what I learned through the Mindful Nation process of writing that book was we've got two parts of our brain. We got the fight or flight part, which is in our, our amygdala. So, you know, there's a bear around the corner. Boom, we go in the fight or flight. Our amygdala gets really cranked up and it takes over our brain and it's signaling to our body how best we can survive. The problem with that is that it takes away our ability to use our prefrontal cortex up by our forehead. That's where we have our decision-making, our attention span, our memory. It's the CEO of the brain. So you can imagine these young kids who live in these violent neighborhoods and have all these issues that they have to deal with. Their amygdala is in a constant state of being activated, and they're in a, almost mm. a constant state of fight or flight. Wow. We see kids like this all the time. Yeah. So we sit here and wonder why they can't learn. <laughs> and the reason is their brain's been hijacked by their fight or flight response. And these techniques are being shown to teach kids how to self-regulate. What a, what a life skill uh, for them, right? How to, how to calm their amygdala down, re-engage their prefrontal cortex. And then we start seeing test scores go up and everything else and, and behavior uh, goes down, as I said earlier. And so to me, you know, we're banging our head against the wall saying, how are we going to be a competitive country? Why can't some of these kids learn? Why are we spending so much in some of these tough districts? And the districts we spend most on come away with the worst test scores. Well, they're also the districts with the highest crime rates, the highest poverty rates. And these kids, their brains are hijacked. So if we're going to transform education, to me, this is like the basic building block that we need to send these kids out into a very chaotic world. But to be able to learn and have a skill and be a functioning, uh, civilized human being, I think mindfulness and these other practices and meditation practices are really fundamental. Yeah, I mean, it's it shocks me now today, looking back at my childhood and you know the school schooling that I had. Uh, you know, super grateful for my teachers and everything and and what I learned. But at the same time, the most probably the most valuable things that we could have learned as students and and children growing up is how to understand ourselves and understand our emotions and how to react to certain situations or not react or letting our ego take over or not take over. And, um, right. you know, those are the things that makes us competitive and compelling in business, in life in relationships, you know, as a country, whatever it may be, it's not like how smart we are, um, you know, or how much, you know, although it's important to have this information that we learn in math and science and everything, but, uh, to be innovative, but really, if we can't understand other human beings and understand ourselves, how, we're, how we work under certain stressful situations, then what is the value in knowing the other information? I think uh, it's just as equally right. important, if not more important, in my opinion, based on what I've learned in my experience uh, and being, you know, getting to the next level in my life, understanding mindfulness well, think, has been powerful. I, I think most people would agree with you. You know, most yeah. if we if we sat down in a room full of parents and we talked about, OK, what are the essential skills you have that allowed you to be a success? And most people would say, you know, my ability to connect to other people, mm -hmm. the fact that I listen, the fact, you know, I care, I'm empathetic. Um, the fact that I don't say everything that I want to say, <laughs> you know, um, the fact that I'm able to get mad and then kind of calm down and then deal with the situation. And the question really is. If those are the 
if, if that's the 80 or 90 percent of the things in our daily life that we need to be successful, you know, why in the hell aren't we teaching that in our schools? Yeah. Because you know, like you said, the, the skill set, whether you're going to learn a skill with the building trades to be a plumber or an electrician, or you're going to go on to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer, um, those skills can be learned. Yes. But the essential things that make us a civilization really are these other skills. And I think there's been a fraying of that. And we've gotten so driven into test scores and, and it's just kind of odd that the more we focus on math and science and test scores, the further we drop in the international rankings. Why? I mean, I don't understand this though. How come we are never, we never have a class on this. At least I never did until after I graduated college, when I started to, you know, really until my late twenties, early now I'm 31 until I started to realize what's not working for me as a human. Like, you know, there's a lot working, but what is making me angry still? Why is my mm -hmm. ego getting in the way? Why am I resentful to people or to situations? And why have I not let go of certain things that aren't serving me? And I, it's, it was frustrating when I had to like seek out the information and start, you know, doing my own research as it looks like you did as well in the whole mindful nation process. How come, you know, it took me 30 years until I was able to, to then seek it out because it was just so frustrating as opposed to it's something that we learn in school. Why hasn't schools developed this and brought it on as at least being one class, you know, that people can take or something? Yeah, I just I think there's a lot of inertia in the current system. And, you know, it's it's a lot of times it's blaming blame the parents, mm. blame the teachers. There's a lot of, you know, whose fault it is. These kids aren't working hard enough. So give them more homework, more discipline, more this, more, more that drugs. And really none of none of that has worked. And it's funny that you say, you know, you turn 30 or whatever, and then you start kind of figuring things out for yourself uh, in a mindful nation. And I talk about I went on a five day a meditation retreat and mm -hmm. more and more silence throughout the retreat. And then at the end of the retreat, there was a 36 hour period of silence. And I remember, you know, doing a walking meditation at the end. And I really, you know, my mind and my body were synchronized. It very much resembled being in the zone as an athlete. Yep. You know, not that I was, in, you know, enough. If I was in a lot, I probably would be talking to you right now, but I, I did have that experience. Mm -hmm. And the, the minute that happened, and I really had that experience. I thought, why didn't anyone teach me this in school? <laughs> yeah. oh, why? Why did that happen? And um, and so my mission at that point in my life really was, you know, we've got to learn how to teach this in our schools. And Amazing. it's got to be fundamental. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. I'm like so in shock that you're still a congressman and that you've like talked about these topics and it's like part of your daily practice. So it's again, really proud you're from Ohio, Tim. <laughs> um, so, okay, let's, let's transition. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I need, I need your help. I'm, I, I need your help. I mean, we've got to figure out how to do this, you know, right. And, and how to do it together and really build this movement out. Sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can support with this, uh, you know, as a, as a piece of the puzzle with this podcast and this interview. So again, thank you for sharing with that. And I want to, you know, I could talk about that for hours and hours because I'm a, 
I'm still an athlete myself today. I'm competing on an on a international level with the, the USA national team, with team handball, trying to go to the Olympics in the next couple of years. So I'm all about mindfulness, meditation, uh, you know, tapping into being in the zone as often as possible when I compete. So I could talk about that forever, but I want to talk about as well, the real food revolution. And a few years ago, I live in Los Angeles now. I moved from Columbus, Ohio to New York about four and a half years ago, early 2010. And when I moved there, it was about three or four years after, about three years after I'd done playing, I used to play arena football and I got injured. And uh, I played with the Columbus Destroyers for a little bit. And um, I kept eating the crap that I was eating from college football and playing arena football, you know, just eating whatever to get enough calories in. I kept eating that for about three years after I was done. And it got to the point where I've mentioned this on the podcast before, for those who've listened uh, a lot before, I've, that I, I got over 250 pounds and I'm 6'4", and I could never get to that weight when I was playing football. So I finally got to 250 oh. and, uh, and my underwear started rolling over my, like, it started rolling over itself, like folding over. And my siblings started calling me Fluis for Fat Lewis because I was just like getting this gut and chubby cheeks and they were like, you're getting fat, you need to start eating better. And I realized once my underwear started folding over, I was like, okay, this is unacceptable. I can't, I can't keep doing this myself. So I started to really assess what is it I'm doing? What am I eating? And I realized that I was addicted to sugar. And the thing that I like about you and your book is you mentioned how you love ice cream and chicken wings. And, uh, you know, you're not perfect. You're not like only eating uh, leafy greens and organic beef every day um, that you love. You have your uh, your vices as well with food. But I realized that I was addicted to sugar and I needed to at least cut it back a lot. So I went off sugar for 30 days and I lost 30 pounds in 30 days just getting off sugar. And I was amazed at what, uh, you know, my the way my body responded. And uh, you talk a lot about foods and the food system. Can you just tell me why you decided to write this book and why this is such an important topic for you about healthy eating? And, uh, you know, there's lots of different things you cover here, but what's the main reason you got into this in the first place? Well, I, as a member of Congress, and I sit on the House Appropriations Committee, and we fund the government. You know, and just uh, started over time. I've been in now uh, 12 years and over time, you know, pay more and more attention and learn more and more. And I started really, you know, looking at the data, um, looking at the trajectory of what's going to ha happen to our healthcare system and the health of our country um, over the next decade or so and realized that. You know, about half of the country in the next few years is going to have either diabetes or pre-diabetes. Wow! And you try to you try to fathom a healthcare system where half the country is sick and that sick. I mean, that's sick. Mm. Um, in addition to obesity and heart disease and high blood pressure and all the rest that cost us a lot of money, you know, we need to fix it. And you know, as I was writing a Mindful Nation too, I was learning a lot about stress response and how bad that is for. Um, for our bodies, but there was always this other element floating around out there, and that was diet. And and so once I, I it just kind of clicked. I was like, oh my god, this is like <laughs> this is so fundamental. I mean, you, these kids in the school, you know, they're they're eating a fruit roll up and a bag of Doritos and, uh, and a, a pizza pop. square. Yeah, and that's breakfast or that's <laughs> lunch, and then we send them to the classroom and and we say, hey, uh, can you sit down and learn algebra now? Yeah. 
you know, and it's really setting them up to fail. And so, you know, kind of seeing the policy side, I really wanted to help people connect the dots. And so basically what happens is we subsidize with with taxpayer money, um, we subsidize the current food system that that helps support growing really big crops that end up in cheap, highly processed food. Mm. And there's a reason it's cheap. It's cheap because it's subsidized by the taxpayer. So yeah. um, that makes it, you know, uh, more cheap and more readily available. And then the real kicker is then we subsidize health care for our citizens uh, with the Medicaid program, Medicare, and then also private insurance. Now with the Affordable Care Act to help middle class people afford health insurance, the public subsidizes that. So we subsidize the crops that go to highly processed food that got the country ready to have uh, half the country to have diabetes or prediabetes. And then we subsidize the health care in which we're going to need to take care of the people who have diabetes or prediabetes. So to me, it's like, shoot me, you know, like, are we really doing this? And I want American people to see the connection of why these are so cheap. And how we can, with just a minor shift in these subsidies, start to encourage farmers to grow kind of fruits and vegetables that are going to make us healthy. And it can mm-hmm. be a team effort with the farmers, with the consumers, with ag people, you know, um, with the schools of agriculture, together with the integrative health folks and the, the, the healthcare community to say, all right, this is the direction we need to go in. And this is ultimately how we're going to drive down healthcare costs so that we can reinvest into innovation and education and, you know, the kind of things we need in our schools to really be competitive. Mm. The, you know, mindfulness programs, the social and emotional learning programs, those things that we know work. So if we save money on healthcare, you know, those are investments we could make in the things that are really going to make us competitive. And then the Real Food Revolution kind of lays that all out so the average person kind of pull the curtain back on what's happening in D.C. and see how this is all going down. Wow. Interesting. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all Already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, it just seems like if we ate healthy and uh, meditated once a day, we would solve a lot more problems and have a lot better lives. <laughs> it seems simple, right? Yeah. Um, you talk about you talk about early in the book about our brains. Oh, go ahead. When you think about it, you know, our brains, our bodies, our nervous systems were not meant to deal with fake food mm. and the high, high levels of, you know, information that are coming down on us day in and day out. The high levels of stress that we're all under our nervous systems aren't ready for this. You know, I mean, this this food that we're eating now. You know, our species is 60,000 years old or so. We just started eating fake food in the last, you know, three or four decades. So it's taken that time for us to go, oh, my God, this is what happens when, you know, we we eat fake food for a while. We all get sick. We all get diabetes. Our body was meant real food that kept us around for 60,000 years. But here today, eating fake food, and it's a real experience on seeing what goes wrong and what goes wrong is you get diabetes you get high blood pressure you get heart disease you get ulcers you get all these other issues and the same with the technology and the information our mm -hmm. nervous system is not meant to handle these high levels of you know the the information the constant bombardment of what's on our phone and wake from the first time we wake up in the morning till we go to bed we're on this phone and we're looking at this lit screen and there's all this data coming at us and we're not sure how what to even do with it. So the mindfulness and these other practices really with good food are an opportunity for us to just say, OK, we're going to take control back of our environment and we're going to control it. Mm, yeah. Uh, what are you know, you're talking about this fake food. Are you talking about, you know, genetically engineered seeds as part of that? Well, part of it, you know, the, the whole the science really isn't in on GMO, um, but my big thing is you label it and let people have a shot at knowing that they don't want to eat it. Right. And right now that's the big fight is to at least uh, label it. But the, the highly processed stuff, you know, that goes from corn to corn syrup, you know, right. and it goes from soy to soy oil. And then, you know, you look on the back of a box of some of this stuff and you, there's how many names are on there that you have no clue <laughs> even what's in there. You know, and it's like, well, what's in a tomato? Well, a tomato, you know, <laughs> there's sugar in there, but it's natural and it's got, right. you know, these fruits got fiber and other things that help you digest the sugar. So it's just, it's crazy. I mean, it really is. And my thing is, you know, people in Youngstown, Ohio, they're going paycheck to paycheck, you know, and it's hard for them to go shopping three times a week and get fresh fruits and vegetables. So they're almost forced to buy the things that are, can stay in the cupboard and so there's a lot of challenges here economically as well the very least i'd say why wouldn't we make it easier for them to buy 
fresh fruits and vegetables? Why are those priced so much differently than all this subsidized garbage that we're eating? So what are some ways to make it easier for people on low income, uh, you know, families uh, that live in places that don't have fresh produce readily, you know, easily nearby? Um, What are some things that you talk about in the book that we can do to, to solve this? or solutions that we can do ourselves? I think first you shift, you shift the subsidies and you try to create some markets for the farmers. So you're from, you're from Delaware County, you're from Columbus, Ohio. So imagine if we took the Ohio State University and we said, uh, okay, the next year, Ohio State is going to spend 2% of their food budget for all 60,000 kids that are there in their entire campus to buy fresh local whole foods from central Ohio farmers. The following year, it's gonna be 4%, following year, it's gonna be 6%, following year, it's gonna be 8%. All of a sudden, the farmers in that region are gonna say, wow, I got a real market developing here. Instead of growing corn, that's gonna end up feeding some hog halfway around the world. (laughs) Um, I can make the same money because we shift the subsidies and we help them convert their farm over to a more sustainable farm. And we can drive the truck five or 10 miles and, and make a profit and make a living feeding people at Ohio State. That will build the market out. Mm. And Ohio State's not going to go anywhere. And if you do the same with prisons in central Ohio and schools in central Ohio and military bases in central Ohio, you take all this public money and you start rewarding the farmers for growing the kind of food that's going to keep us healthy. And I think that's one way to do it by building the market out. And then those foods would be more accessible. And then in our urban areas, I think we need a total urban agricultural, urban farming initiative in the country where we take down dilapidated homes. Take Youngstown, Ohio, for example. We used to be 160,000 people. You know, now we're 60 or 70,000. Wow. So we're, we're starting to take down a lot of those homes but we need to do it a lot quicker and we could build out um, a huge urban ag support system in the middle of food deserts and food deserts are with or where, you know, families live outside of a mile or two from a grocery store and they don't have any transportation. Mm. So grow the food in the city. And so instead of having neighborhoods that are neighborhoods of consumption, you start putting people to work in the cities to grow fresh fruits and vegetables and food for their own communities and make them neighborhoods of production. So you Mm. get investment in the city, you put people to work. Most of the folks in these urban areas are on Medicaid and driving up Medicaid costs because of the unhealthy eating. So you're going to help the Medicaid program by bending the cost curve and making sure that people um, are healthier. And then you get rid of the food desert issue and uh, accessibility. So all of these things um, can really help build out an urban farming system. And I think you do the same thing with the schools. I think you ha- you should have a garden in every school, a kitchen in every schoolhouse where you're actually teaching kids how to plant, grow, and cook food, like a home ec 2.0. Hmm. And then you have a salad bar in every school cafeteria. And so you start to teach young people exactly how you're supposed to be eating. Tie it to the healthcare curriculum, tie it to your math curriculum, and teach fractions when you're cutting up the vegetables and fruit and those kinds of things. But that's this is why I think it's a revolution, because you build out the entire system. You build out the rural piece by helping the farmers transition. You redirect this public money to reward and incentivize healthy food and whole food. 
you build out the urban ag piece so that you take care of these food deserts and you get people in our inner cities healthy and eating properly. And then you do it with the schools. So you get kids that are in school. What are you there for? They're there to learn how to live, right? How, <laughs> how to have, live a successful life. So part of that needs to be, here's how you eat. Right. Wow. Yeah. What are, what are some ways that, you know, if we're, say you live in the city, you're in New York city, what are some ways to develop your own, uh, you know, I guess urban farming in your apartment, in your, in an apartment or an apartment building? Are there, are there some tips or some, some good systems to apply that you know of? Well, you, you can start growing, you know, herbs in your, uh, window seal and those kinds of things. But I think when you're in th those kinds of urban areas, you know, really you want to support those people in your neighborhoods that are bringing the fresh fruits and vegetables in the farmers markets and the different uh, co-ops that, that bring food into those areas and will bring you bags of gotcha. fresh fruits and vegetables, you know, a few times a week. So it's not necessarily doing it yourself, but it's more supporting the local farmers to bring it in to the urban yeah. areas is what you're saying. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Interesting, man. This is such a powerful concept and I'm so appreciative that you're again, writing about this and, and pushing for it all. Um, are there other, so are you, are you able to apply some of these, um, food initiatives in Ohio right now? Or have you already started doing that along with the mindful practices or is it something you're working towards next? Um, we're doing a little bit in Akron. There are, uh, some gardens in the schools. There's a great program with the American Heart Association, um, and the American Heart Association is really starting to take the lead on this, which is fantastic. Uh, of putting these gardens in the schools, there's a couple of those out in uh, out in Akron. Um, we have uh, in Youngstown, Youngstown Neighborhood Development Corporation, where they're uh, in the city of Youngstown, building out uh, with hoop houses, and they're planting root vegetables, and they're making a profit off it. And that's what's cool, too, is when you see these folks that really can start making a profit. And so it's not always funded by government or funded by foundations where they can, you know, get some seed money early, get people up and running, but then start making money off the thing, you know, that mm -hmm. they can reinvest back into uh, their urban farm or into their neighborhoods and figure out ways. I, I think there's a huge public good and that this is a these are good public investments, but you know, if you can supplement that with people who start making profits. So they're doing that right in Youngstown. And you'd be surprised. I write about Will Allen in Milwaukee. He started um, a great uh, program uh, of building out urban farms hmm. and it's called growing power. And he's a former athlete too. And he uh, played basketball at the university of Miami and came back and, and started doing this in Milwaukee. And it's really transforming neighborhoods and teaching inner city kids how to you know, grow food and, and he gets all into the whole process of doing it. It's really super cool. So, you know, Milwaukee and Chicago and Cleveland and Youngstown and Akron, I mean, this is happening in some of these older cities and it's exactly what needs to happen, but we better get on the stick. Cause like I said, it's, we're not moving the needle yet. And these are cool to have out there and it's cool for me to write about. But the reality is if we don't have people voting for or against their members of Congress based on where they're, where they stand on food, then we're not going to move the needle. And if we don't have people running for school board in you know, school districts all over the country saying, Hey, we got to get start with getting this crap out of our schools that we're feeding to our kids, we're poisoning them. And how do we get good food in there so that they can 
be at the highest level of performance that we need them to be to be successful. That's ultimately what the what what the real goal is, is to, you know, move the needle here politically. I mean, how do we move the needle when it seems like it's such a big needle to move? You know, it's like this. It's a system that's so big all around the country. How you know, how long will that actually take until we start to see any movement at all that is meaningful or that makes a difference? Well, it depends, you know, on how good of a job I do and you do by, you know, uh, you know, coaching everybody up and, and really, you know, uh, teaching them what we need to do and that they can't ignore the political process. I think that's, you know, I used to have fun with all the meditators and yogis when I went on my book tour with the Mindful Nation is like you guys sit on your cushion or you get on your <laughs> mat. You want to become one with the universe, except for the Washington, D.C. You know, right. it's like. You, you got to engage everything, even the dark side sometimes, you know, because it's all life. You know, this is all part of the process and you've got to engage it. And so, you know, I, I think about you and all the people that listen to your podcast, you know, all the people that Nick Ortner and Jessica Ortner are, are in contact with two New York Times bestsellers. I think of Chris Carr. I think of Mark Hyman, who's, yep. you know, Dr. Mark Hyman, who has like eight New York Times bestsellers. You know, I think Wayne Dyer's big on this and all the millions of books that he sold over his career and the years of people that that he um, is interested in and Deepak Chopra and all these folks, we all have networks, you know? And and if we all say in unison, this is how we do it. We've got to be involved in the process. You, you guys got to, somebody got to run for school board in Delaware County. Yeah. You know, and say, this is the future. and Here's the science. I mean, I look at a place like Delaware County and you know it much, much better than I do. But this concept to people in Delaware County, I don't think would be that foreign. No. You know, I mean, it's like if you go and you explain to the folks down there, like, here's why, here's how the brain works. Here's here's diabetes. Here's this. Here's that. Lay it out for them. They're intelligent people. Yeah. They're going to say, yeah, this is what we need. Maybe (laughs) this is the kind of shift that we need. You just got to talk to people like they're adults and not try to run political campaigns based on a bumper sticker and scare the crap out of somebody. So they vote vote for you and not the other guy. Right. So um, I think the more we activate people, the quicker it's going to happen. And are there grants out there that, uh, you know, communities can uh, receive for their schools or how does this actually work? Yeah, there are some grants um, with the Department of Agriculture has some grants. And Tom Vilsack, who's the secretary of agriculture, has really been doing a good job of trying to build this thing out. You know, it's not at the level, obviously, that we need it uh, to be. But, you know, we were able to get a grant for Youngstown Neighborhood Development Corporation for them to continue to build out their process. Um, you know, I know the Department of Health and Human Services, they have grants that uh, able to help schools build out these things. There's some great foundations like the Whole Foods Foundation for kids. They do a lot of work in schools where they teach teachers how to, you know, learn about health themselves. So they do mm. like a two hour seminar for teachers and then they do salad bars in the schools and they do um, gardens in the schools as well. And so that's that's a great program. The American Heart Association, too. Um, they try to coordinate with corporate sponsors so that would be a great place to start as well. Um, there's just so many uh, places out there if you just want to get started um, sure. that, that you can. And in, in, in the Real Food Revolution, we provide a resource section where we suggest other groups that you can partner up with. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, the sad thing is that 
the I I think this is the the first generation that we will live shorter than our parents. Is that a correct statistic, or did I hear that from yeah. you? Or, and yeah, yeah. So, so this in the book, first generation, yeah, to live to live not as not as long as their parents and live an unhealthier life than their parents. I mean, as sad as it sounds, it may take more people getting sick and dying younger for the shift to happen, which is really unfortunate. Uh, or it may take until you know a certain time of that happening, um, but it's it's just really sad that you know people you know I had to do this when I was twenty nine thirty years old I had to like go and look for information because I was never taught it you know and my parents didn't know the, the specific information you know they taught me you know we were eating you know grilled cheese and pizza and and I thought I was healthy <laughs> you know it's like because we weren't educated. So I'm not blaming my parents or family. You know, it's ultimately my responsibility to live a healthy lifestyle. But when we're taught certain things every day or we're not get provided information for us to make choices um, based on information, it's it's a lot more challenging. So what are some, you know, some of these may be obvious, obviously, but can you give listeners some nutrition-related recommendations, you know, already that you have? Yeah, I... I um as I start the book out with my fetish for uh, chicken wings in ice cream. <laughs> I love that how you start um, that too. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I just, I don't want to, I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not, you know, um, and those are fine and you know, whatever, whatever works for you, but I don't, I'm not trying to tell people what to eat. I just want to say, Hey, here's kind of like why we're having these problems and the direction we need to move in and everybody can do a little bit better uh, in order to help us build this system out. Um, I just, I think you try to eat real food, you know, you try to eat, uh, fruits and vegetables and you try to, you know, limit the, I try to limit the carbs. Um, and I grew up Italian, so, you know, that is super, super hard, <laughs> you know, when you smell, you know, home cooked bread and, and, um, and, you know, try to eat lean meats and really, you know, that kind of thing, you know, we do a shake in the morning, uh, that Dr. Hyman recommends in, in some of his books with, you know, frozen berries and uh, chia seeds and flax seeds and stuff that, you know, keep you moving and almond milk and just try to limit that stuff. But, you know, my stepson last night, we we went around town looking for ice cream. You know, he, he he's doing a good job in school and he wanted a little ice cream. So, you know, <laughs> we didn't find it. Fortunately, everything was closed. But, but you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's hard to just completely cut it off, yeah. but I think it's important that, you know, everything done in moderation. And I like, you know, kind of what Michael Pollan says about, you know, eating plants and uh, eating real food. And then the, the thing I cite in the book is if you if you are getting your dinner through your car window, it's probably not real food. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. I I have a note here that I wanted to ask you about. I might be backtracking a little bit, but... Is it true we are developing robo bees? And, <laughs> and I, I saw this in your book. And I love, I love to learn more yeah. about what is a robo bee, and why are they be, why are they being created, and what's you know, is it true that it's actually happening? Well, one of the, one of the problems with um, plowing of land to you know farm more and more is we are eliminating the plants. I think it's like milkweed plants that are essential for um, bees and the pesticides that we're putting on our crops are killing a lot of bee colonies. And so we are seeing a huge reduction 
and in bee colonies. There's always some reduction in winter times, um, but there's significantly more the last few years, and they're really starting to kind of come to the understanding that it might be all of the pesticides that we're using. And so instead of stopping the current system of getting rid of our bee colonies, you know, Harvard's researching robo bees that could maybe be set to do the cross pollination that bees do. Now, so, you know, we're, I'd make a joke in the book. It's like, we're, we're ruining the dirt too. You know, what are we going to come up with robo dirt? You know, it's like, let's fix the problem that's causing this, you know, and, and not go try to figure out robo bees. Let's figure out how to (laughs) stop plowing the, the plants and spraying the bees with, with poison that's killing the colonies. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay semi lighthearted on this or you get depressed. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, what's your vision for this over the next, you know, five, 10 years, what would you love to see happen? Obviously it's one year at a time, one school at a time, one family at a time type of mentality, but what's, what's your vision for 10 years? You've been in Congress for, for how long now? 12 years, 12 years. And, uh, you know, what do you want to see in the next 10 years? Well, I, I think a growing awareness first and foremost of this being an issue and people really starting to understand, you know, I saw John Oliver, uh, a clip of him making this huge seven minute joke about sugar and Halloween. And it was so educational about like how much sugar we eat about 75 pounds a year. And I think when you start seeing it, you know, we, we saw McDonald's was down about 30% uh, in the last quarter uh, for profits. So that kind of growing awareness really is what I'm looking at, because once people become more and more aware, once soccer moms in Delaware County become more and more aware, that's when you really start shifting the needle on uh on being able to make the change and then i think we need a a national initiative like we built national highways we need to say okay you know we've got all of these cities like youngstown we're very very big and now have a lot of dilapidated homes let's put people to work and take down these homes and build out an urban egg uh program in, in the government and you know in in all of these cities i mean how great would that be if we took all of these cities that are having crime infested and everything else and just knock down the crappy houses and put up guards, you know, and got kids at a very young age involved in growing things instead of killing things. And I think that to me is really what's going to be transformational. But ultimately in the next few years, we've got to raise awareness and connect the dots for people that it's going to be very hard to change the system if, if these products are subsidized by the government and, and then, you know, get those people out and involved in the process. And in 10 years, I hope that, you know, we're driving through downtowns where, you know, these old buildings are filled with gardens, you know, they're mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30 stories high and they're filled with, you know, uh, you know, solar panels and water irrigation systems. And they're growing food right in the heart of our downtowns and distributing to, you know, people and putting people to work in our downtowns and get people moving back into the downtowns, centers of art and culture. And I think this is what people want, you know, and that's the other thing in Ohio, we have 88 counties and in every county, there's a beautiful downtown square. There's a courthouse, you know, there's an old movie theater. I think people are ready for that kind of connection again. And uh, it's going to take 
you know, the government can't do everything and I don't want it to do everything, but it should catalyze some of these things and bring private investment and help us build the system out. Mm, yeah, I love it. I've got uh, I've got two final questions for you that uh, I want to ask, but I just want to let people know to make sure to go check out this book, The Real Food Revolution, Healthy Eating, Green Groceries, and the Return of the American Family Farm. Lots of great resources in here, stories, statistics, um, ways you can take action. At the end of each chapter, there's actionable items and what you can do to take action. So it's a great book, a lot of great endorsements in here. Um, so make sure everyone goes and checks us out, The Real Food Revolution by Congressman Tim Ryan. And we'll make sure to have everything linked up in the show notes where people can get can get the book and check out your website as well. And uh, you're on Twitter also, right? Twitter and Facebook and all the places online. Yep. Cool. Yep. So we'll link everything up there. couple final questions. Uh, one is, what are you most grateful for in your life recently? <laughs> That's easy, man. I just had a baby. Wow. <laughs> we just had a baby. Yeah, so I've got a four-month-old um, Brady, and uh, he's just rocked my world, man. He's just <laughs> been, uh, he's been phenomenal. And I have two great stepkids, and I didn't really know them till they were five or six. So I've got a baby, you know, that looks up at me and, you know, then spits up on me, you know. <laughs> wow. And it's been, I'm just super, super grateful for for him. So this is your first child. Yeah, my oh, wife wow. and I together. Yeah, it's our first wow. one. Yeah. So it's been great. I've got a, I got a great wife. Thank you. I've got a beautiful wife who's super supportive and, you know, she's doing just a great job with the kids. And, you know, I get, I run around and talk about this stuff and I come home and she's, you know, putting together, you know, uh, healthy food and healthy dinners and trying to really, you know, help us live this kind of life that we want to give to our kids. So I'm just super appreciative for my entire family, really. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, final question. And before I ask you the final question, which is the question I ask everyone, uh, I just want to acknowledge you, Tim, for all of the incredible work you're doing. Again, it's, it's kind of shocking to know you're a congressman and I'm proud to know that you're from Ohio even though you're not from Delaware County where I grew up, it's all, it's all good. Cause you're from the same, same state, the heart of it all. And, um, I want to acknowledge you for what you're doing to your efforts and your energy to educate, you know, all of us and to educate school systems, families, children on mindfulness, which again, I'm like shocked that you wrote a book about this, but it's so awesome that you did because it's something that's been so uh, powerful in my life recently and also healthy eating two very important topics and distinctions in life for living a great life in my mind if we're not aware of our feelings and able to understand ourselves in certain situations and be able to react in situations and connect with people and understand their feelings then we're missing a big part of life and if we're not eating healthy and educating the ones we love on how to live a healthy lifestyle with the foods we put in our body, then we're breaking down our bodies and we're going to be uh, very uncomfortable and unhappy with what we're creating inside of ourselves from both things, our emotions and our physical bodies. So, so proud to know you're from Ohio and uh, that you're doing all that you can to make this uh, more prominent information and uh, public to the world. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you want to ask you the final question it's what is your definition of greatness oh that's a good one i would say 
increasing love in the world. Perfect. If you've increased <laughs> love in the world, you are great, you know? And I think that's why you think of your grandparents and or parents or someone that you know who wasn't on TV and didn't have podcasts and didn't write books and why were they so special to you and they taught you about love, you know? And uh, so if you've increased love in the world, you're great. I love it. Well, thank you for that definition, Tim. And thank you for, again, all of you, all that you're up to and all that you're doing. And uh, hopefully we'll get to meet someday in Ohio. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Go Buckeyes. Go Bucks. All right. And there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy it, make sure to go back to lewishouse.com slash 102 for episode 102. And leave me a comment on what you thought about this, this interview, this episode. Also, make sure to check out The Real Food Revolution. We're going to have that book linked up at the show notes at lewishouse.com slash 102. And how you can connect with Tim and all the resources that he talked about in this interview. So make sure to check it out, share it with your friends, spread this message because uh, it's important for us to live healthy lives. We've had a lot of episodes on here with health coaches and nutritionists and uh, elite athletes who live healthy lifestyles and it's important for us to serve our bodies and our minds with good foods. If we're not doing that, we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up to fail in our lives, in our relationships, in uh, the careers we want, in creating great things. So you've really got to work on fine-tuning your body and your mind so that you have optimal levels of performance running when you want to create something in the world. So again, make sure to check this out. Give a shout-out to Tim. Let him know that you liked it as well. And uh, I appreciate you guys so much for being here, so much for listening, for subscribing. If you have yet to be a subscriber, please go to itunes.com slash school of greatness and click on the little subscribe button so you can get updated each week. We're posting twice a week right now on the School of Greatness podcast, and I'm going to continue to have some mega, huge, awesome, inspiring guests on. So again, subscribe, leave us a review over there on iTunes as well. Subscribe on SoundCloud and uh, over at my website, lewishouse.com, so you can get notified each week with the latest freebies, goodies, insights, and tips. Again, thank you guys so much for being here on the School of Greatness podcast. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.
nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com.